This is The Rush on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hey, welcome back. Mark Tui in for Rushmi Nair today. It is uh, 4.35 and therefore time for our Smart Speakers series with uh, Faye Johnstone, co-owner and executive director of consulting firm Wisdom to Action, and Scott Reed, CTV's political analyst and former advisor to a prime minister. I think it was Prime Minister Paul Martin. In fact, uh, if I remember correctly, welcome both of you. Hello, hello. Yeah, I always like it when they say that. A prime minister. Like, it could have been anyways. John Abbott. <laughs> yeah, they only, they only let you do one, and then you were out of there. But <laughs> How it rolls. There you go. Hey, I want to talk to you about this uh, news. We've been talking about it all day, about uh, a Toronto neighborhood, uh, 57 households that banded together to hire a private security firm to uh, drive a patrol car around at night, and uh, they were suffering... Uh, Basically, they say one incident a night, uh, one incident per night in their community of uh, car theft. Uh, and these aren't just sort of people stealing the car in the dead of night out of the driveway. These were people kicking in doors and rummaging through houses with people inside the homes, uh, screaming and yelling at them to get the keys to take the cars. And since they had uh, security, uh, Scott Reed, driving around the neighborhood, uh, they've gone down to zero, which I think suggests the power of a uniformed presence. Just big, bright car, flashing lights, moving around so people are, uh, you know, I'll go to some other where else. And I wonder if the police couldn't be doing this if police didn't cost so much. Like, is it time? To, could we use a two-tiered police service with some community cops who were perhaps lesser paid and, and not as trained, but to drive around in bright, shiny cars and just do the kind of policing that doesn't require you know, body armor and a gun? Um, I don't think I'm for that. I don't, I, I, there's a bunch of things about this that makes me uncomfortable. First of all, I, I think if you're a cop, you're a cop. I think you get special training. I think that you should be paid a certain amount. I think you should be part of that whole process. I think that large portions of what we currently do, um, through the TPS could be civilianized. Um, I'm not sure this function could, but, um, I wouldn't create two kinds of badges, two kinds of uh uniforms i also have to say like as a guy who's had his car stolen three times who has you know lives in a neighborhood um where you know uh, car thefts are rampant up and down uh the road i I, this still sits a little you know like poorly with me if you got the resources fine but man oh man it's smacks of old man privilege okay well then we're gonna go hire our own security and then what next then we're gonna hire clint eastwood to come in and run that cow baron out of town and uh you know like really take things in our own hands i don't just it's I understand that the police can't physically be there. I sat waiting for the police to come for 12 flipping hours one time for my stolen car, but I don't think this is the remedy. Uh, Faye, at what point does, uh, I mean, government owns, has a monopoly on violence and law enforcement. If it can't protect us, at what point do people legitimately start to say, we're going to do it ourselves? Oh, that's that's a, a an existential question. I don't know if I can do justice. But I, you know, I would say it's it's a sad day when folks are having to take these measures. But I would align with Scott. Like, I'm trying to picture who are these homeowners? What is their disposable income? Disposable income? And I, I just like there, there's some trickiness there. There's trickiness to me in any situation where folks are having to bring in their own security. Um, just to not have their cars stolen. Uh, I also have a lot of thoughts around how police budgets are over 
uh, growing year over year and how other folks who are doing similar and just as important work often have much lower salaries. I'm thinking social workers. I'm thinking frontline workers were there when folks who are struggling need help. And I do want to name, you know, it's no coincidence that crime rates are rising as so many folks are struggling to pay their bills. And so our housing sector, our homelessness sector is absolutely overwhelmed. Uh, and so I think it's just it's a lot of factors, but I don't think this is the right solution to solve it. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, I mean, I look at the UK and they have exactly what I just proposed, a two tier policing system. And uh, most of their officers are not armed. They're not paid the same as the ones that are armed, but the armed officers are available when needed. But most policing is done by people who are a lot less, you know, scary looking uh, than their armed uh, patrol officers. Uh, Speaking of scary looking, apparently uh, Ontario Liberal leader Bonnie Crombie is uh, being painted uh, Scott Reed by the Conservatives as uh, elite and out of touch with the rest of the people. She says that this, uh, she hasn't looked at the ads, she hasn't uh, listened to the ads. Uh, I'm not going to play them here and give free publicity to the uh, PCs. They can pay for their ad time, as they are on this station. Uh, But uh, she complains it's a lack of civility. I don't think that's anything new in uh, political communications. You've been around for a while. What do you think? Uh, I think the ads are probably going to be effective. And, you know, a friend of mine was involved in their uh, development and execution, um, uh, but I would still say I don't think they're actually the the most effective, the the most spot on negative ads I've seen. But you know they're probably going to have an effect. Um, I think Crombie gave two interviews at least. I mean, she probably gave a bunch, but I've seen two different interviews. There's one that we were discussing where she talked about, oh, I think they show a lack of civility. There was another one where she basically just bumped off of them and started saying, listen, you know what, let's focus on the problems that actually affect other people um, and, you know, real folks out there. I think that's the wiser way to go. Um, But I'll also say this, none of that matters. Like none, like there are better responses when you're asked about the negative ads that are being run against you. And then there are um, less better answers about the negative ads that are running against you. But the truth of the matter is there's only one way to defeat negative ads against you. And that is to run better ads. That is to tell people who you are instead. And you have to do it with money and you have to do it with paid media. And the problem is the party doesn't have money. So I think the liberals have to assume that these things will have an effect and i think they should be fundraising fundraising really aggressively and i don't think she should be saying even in media interviews these won't matter she should say i assume they're going to hurt me i assume they'll take a chunk out of me but you know what i'm going to take that punch and i'm going to get back up and keep walking and she should try to fundraise off of it she needs to run her own ads about herself and build that consensus around her negative ads work and you got to fight fire with fire Faye Johnson, my yeah, I I kind of agree with what Scott says, but the it was the lack of civility, which I think is quite accurate. But I think that's the state of politics today. You know, what does the average person that you know think about this kind of stuff? Do the you know does it does it resonate? Are people upset with the lack of civility, or do we just kind of assume, eh, it's politics? I think a lot of folks, it's become normal, and they just shrug their shoulders. And I think that is part of why folks pay less attention to the detail now, uh, I think, than than they may have before. Uh, And I think we're seeing political leaders leaning into that exact strategy of 
of making it into a show and a performance where it's, it's not about what you say, but it's about how you say it. Uh, and I really do feel like we're seeing a lot more toxicity in politics. Uh, but I also think uh, what's, what's happening here is I think Doug Ford is, is scared of Crombie and uh, is worried. And, we, we, you know, the polls, I think, have indicated a similar thing uh, where she is a threat to him in a way uh, that he hasn't had a real opposition running up till now. And that's going to be really interesting to see play out. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Bonnie Crombie is, uh, I've got about 60 seconds, Scott, do you want to jump on that? I think she's a credible player. I think she's uh, the kind of uh, opposition leader that Doug Ford has not faced up to this point. I think that's right. And they are flattering her with their attention. They're also flattering her with millions of dollars of, um, you know, defining uh, paid media. And it's going to take a hit. One of the things that she says in one of the interviews is, well, people like me and this is what they've done. And I've always been popular. That's all lame. Quit talking about how popular you are. Be popular. And do not assume for a second that people know who you are already. Outside of the GTA, people do not know who you are. So they, they I just go back to it. They need money because they need their own ads. That's how this works. We will return in just a moment with more of our smart speakers, Faye Johnstone and uh, Scott Reed. My name is Mark Tui, sitting in for Rushmi Nair. We're going to put a couple of questions to our speakers when we come back, including the citizenship question. And we'll ask uh, about uh, what the prime minister said recently about Israel's uh, campaign in Gaza and what Cameron Diaz said about your bedroom. Yeah, you. I'm talking about your bedroom. That's next when the rush returns. Hi, welcome back. I'm Mark Tui in for Rush Minaire today. We're in the midst of our smart speakers panel and our smart speakers today. Scott Reed, CTV political analyst, former advisor to Prime Minister Paul Martin. Faye Johnstone is co-owner and executive director of consulting firm Wisdom to Action. Uh, let me put this one to you first, Scott. Uh, this uh, The Prime Minister has been trying to walk a very fine line with the Israel and Hamas uh, uh, war that is underway. And he said uh, in an interview that aired Thursday that uh, he was concerned that Israel's strongest friends, I don't know whether he considers uh, himself in Canada to be one of those, are, quote, becoming increasingly concerned that the short-term actions being taken by Israel are actually putting at risk the long-term safety of and even support for a Jewish state in the future. He's talking, of course, about everybody's concern about the uh, bloodshed in Gaza and the civilian casualties. But it almost, to me, comes across as a little bit naive because the Jewish people and the Palestinians are also concerned about the short-term safety and survival. And uh, the Jews, uh, Jewish government, the Israeli government, I think, is, uh, is in a foxhole. And they see it as, we got to survive today. We're not that worried about you know, tomorrow's because they believe, and I think they're right, that most of the UN General Assembly doesn't like them anyway and will never support them. What, how do you, what would you advise the Prime Minister? This is a tough one. Oh, well, what would I advise the Prime Minister? I've, I've been per- fairly critical of uh, the government's uh, stance because I think in moments of this, you have to be clear and you have to be consistent and you have to be coherent. And my my belief is that Canada's foreign policy should be to be extraordinarily supportive of Israel in public so that it can speak with real strength and influence in private. 
um, to them and say, you need to do this, you need to do that. I think that's been the approach of the United States. I think we should be in lockstep for the United States in this. Um, when we speak loudly on the world stage in a way that's critical of Israel, I think we lose our ability to influence Israel without gaining any influence anywhere else. Um, and, and the prime minister's not wrong. I mean, public opinion in Canada and around the world is eroding on Israel, um, almost predictably, as they're going to push back and wage war against Hamas. Um, but my my argument would be that Canada, uh, our foreign policy is unclear. Um, you know, almost every time we make a statement, it seems like it's slightly shaded uh, in a different way. And I don't think that that serves us well. And I think politically it harms the government because it ends up with no constituency of support. No one thinks they're doing the right thing. Everyone is critical. Faye Johnson, do you think the government is speaking with a clear, coherent voice? On the one hand, it uh, you know makes a statement with uh, Australia and New Zealand that Hamas must uh, you know give up its hostages, uh, stop fighting, and uh, play no part in the future government of Gaza. And on the other part, it stands up in the General Assembly and votes to do none of that. You know, I I have to come at this from a slightly different angle. Um, I'm a board member with Oxfam Canada, who for weeks now have been calling for a ceasefire, uh, largely citing the humanitarian crisis. And I can't, I cannot speak on behalf of Oxfam, but just what I'm hearing both from from the the Federation and also what I'm seeing in terms of the loss of life among civilians and the state of affairs in Gaza is absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, and I think the, the prime minister has been inconsistent, um, but I think, you know, in this context, I, I understand the, you know, strong support publicly allow, allows you to have these conversations privately. Um, but I think public outcry, I, I don't see I don't see Israel taking that advice to heart in a private context. Uh, and uh, I, I see a need for a public outcry because this has gone on too long and too many lives have been lost already. Scott, when you were uh, working in the Prime Minister's office with uh, Prime Minister Paul Martin, would you say that Canada had a little bit more heft on the world stage than it appears to have now? I, like, I think we're kind of a, we're a no-one-even-thinks-about-us country at the moment, but we didn't used to be. Uh, I, I reject that. I think uh, people say that all the time. When I first got involved in politics in the 1980s and I was on the Hill, people said, remember when we had half and Mike Pearson was there and back in Mike Pearson's day, if you talked to some of his staffers, they would say, oh, God, everybody thinks that we're screwing anything up. And, you know, they would say, remember when we had real influence and we were, you know, uh, we, were, we were, you know, commiserating with President Roosevelt. So this is a generational thing. No, we haven't lost uh, half on the world stage. We have relatively the same amount of but when I was in the prime minister's office, we reversed a bunch of votes that we had made traditionally at the U.N. General Assembly. And we took some heat for that. Um, and we moved to a more pro-Israeli stance. I think that was the right thing to do. And uh, I think that the U.N. General Assembly is um, is 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 so anti-Israel um, that its influence and its significance in the debate is virtually nil. Uh, Faye Johnson, a court in uh, Ontario reversed uh, Canada's uh, or said Canada's policy on citizenship is unconstitutional. This is the limitation sort of on a second generation cutoff rule. So if uh, I move to France and have kids uh, there, my kids get to be Canadian citizens because I'm a Canadian citizen. But if they live in France, never live in Canada, uh, their children cannot be Canadian, aren't automatically Canadian citizens. Uh, the court said that's unconstitutional. What are your thoughts on that? 
Uh, I think, you know, citizenship is complicated. And I think first and foremost, we need a consistent approach uh, and, and one that does, you know, is centered around fairness. But I, I do struggle with somebody who's, you know, never been to Canada, is born away. But like, coming to Canada and getting citizenship or automatically getting citizenship. But I'm also a military brat. And so I can imagine many a situation where folks are deployed. I can imagine this happening and folks raising their kids with a strong connection to Canada. And those kids wanting that citizenship as part of their cultural identity, as part of who they are, uh, because despite growing up and living elsewhere, uh, their, their roots are still Canadian. Uh, Scott, I've got a couple of minutes. So you've been involved in high-level policy decisions, and citizenship's always been a hot-button topic. Uh, you're probably more familiar with this than I am. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, I like the court's ruling. I, I think that, first of all, we got to put this in perspective. It's a relatively small number. We're letting in 1 million uh, new Canadians a year. That doesn't include international students and temporary foreign workers. It's probably almost close to double that, really, if we want to do the pure roundabout math. That's creating all sorts of tensions, as we know, uh, from a housing and uh, and, and, and landing uh, standpoint. And we're, this is like... 100,000, maybe 200,000 people. Like we're talking a very small number of people and the, and the, the risk of gross unfairness, you know, somebody's working for GE overseas. And so their kid happens to be born. They're absolutely came. Their kid happens to be born in, as you say, France or Germany. And then their kid, you know, has a kid. And then something like, it's like, come on. Like my ex-wife lives in Cleveland with her new husband. They have two children. If, the citizenship of their children was at risk, that would be like an absolute affront because they're Canadian. And I just, I, I don't think that we should, you know, I, I think the restrictions and the changes that were made by the Harper government a decade ago were, uh, were too punishing and uh, driven by the wrong motivations. Yeah, it seems like uh, in order to fix one thing, they made uh, another thing uh, worse. And uh, now we're talking about going back to where it was, and maybe we'll have the same conversation again in uh, two years' time. Uh, Scott Reed, CTV political analyst, former advisor to Prime Minister Paul Martin, Faye Johnson, co-owner and executive uh, director of consulting firm Wisdom to Action. Thank you for joining us on Smart Speakers. We're going to take a break at the top of the hour for the news when we come back in the 5 o'clock hour. Laser cat. And Mayor Olivia Chow. What a combination. You got to stick around. It's Mark Tui on The Rush. You're listening to The Rush on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. 